here's what I want all of us to know. Here's what I, all, what, I, what I want all of us to take home with us today when we leave this place. When it comes to searching for Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas, it will always be about so much more than just the words we use in our holiday greetings. It'll be about embracing the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of the mission that he was born into the world for into our everyday lives. In fact, as we begin our time together in the scriptures today, let me just ask you this question. What would Christmas look like for you this year in 2022 if you decided you were going to use the celebration of Jesus's birth to motivate you to know Jesus better than you've ever known him before in your entire life? I have a book in my library upstairs, and probably many of you have this same book because it's been around for a while, or have read this book. It's called The Jesus I Never Knew, written by a man named Philip Yancey, who after decades, don't miss that, after decades of being a Christian, as well as a best-selling Christian author, decided that he didn't know Jesus as well as he should have, and so he devoted himself to studying his life like he had never done before, which resulted in him writing the book, The Jesus I Never Knew. A few years ago, a man named Ed Dobson, who was a pastor up in Grand Rapids, Rapids, Michigan, he has since passed away, uh, but he kind of came to the same conclusion that Philip Yancey did. He decided that he needed to, to know Jesus better than he did. He had, needed to have a, a closer, stronger, personal identification and relationship with Jesus. And so what he decided to do was to spend one year of his life living as closely as possible the lifestyle that Jesus lived. He decided he was going to live like Jesus lived. He was going to eat what Jesus ate. He was going to pray like Jesus prayed. He was going to attend all the same Jewish festivals that Jesus would have attended. And he decided that he was going to read all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single week for a year. All four Gospels every single week for a year. And at the end of it, some significant things happened in his life. Number one, he grew a really long beard. That was the first thing. Number two, he wrote a book called The Year of Living Like Jesus, which chronicled his experience. And then number three, he said, I knew Jesus better than I'd ever known him before. Now, I'm not suggesting you follow the example of Ed Dobson or, or something like that, but I am suggesting that as we begin this Christmas season, that we commit, or maybe for some of us, honestly, we recommit to knowing Jesus, connecting with Jesus in a more personal way than we have ever before. And I want to help you doing that by drawing your attention to some truths about Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and the first 18 verses, which is a, a, an incredible passage of Scripture. It's, it's, it's John's prologue to his Gospel, and it's different from the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin, because the Gospel of John is very different anyway. But in the first 18 verses of chapter 1, what John does is he gives us a spiritual introduction to Jesus, and then he gives us an explanation of exactly who Jesus is. And if I were to reduce everything that you can learn from the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 into a single statement, then it would be this, and it would be this simple. Jesus needs to be the central focus of every part of our lives, every part, every part, with no exception. Because being a Christian is not about trying to be good. It's not about following a list of rules related to things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. It's not about 
the way we vote, and it's not about the language we use in our Christmas greetings. It's about having a personal, a deeply personal relationship with Jesus, which means it's about having a deeply personal relationship with the living God, because that's who Jesus is. My favorite line in that song that Heidi just sang, without question, is, but the baby in her womb was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith who could make the mountains move. That's who Jesus is. And that's how we need to see him and understand him. And so, if you've got your Bible open to John chapter 1 and you're able this morning, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. First 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Obviously, John is talking about Jesus here. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace. We have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made himself known. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. One of the things revealed about Jesus in those, world, in those words is the greatest tragedy related to his life, and that's the truth that he came into the world that he created. Don't miss that. But the world didn't recognize him. John chapter 1 and verse 10 said he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11 goes on to say he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And that's a mistake, friends, that we can't make. That's a mistake that you can't make in this Christmas season. That's a mistake that you don't want anyone that you know and love to make. That's a mistake that we as a church don't want anyone in the world to make. Because when you recognize Jesus for who he is, then you receive him into your life, and when you receive him into your life, you become a part of God's family. John 1, 12 went on to say, yet to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But before any of that can happen, in your life, my life, or the life of anyone, you have to know exactly who Jesus is because it's not enough to know about Jesus. You've gotta know exactly who he is. 
Now, obviously, we don't have time to exposit all 18 verses of John chapter 1. If we did, we'd be here till noon. And so, what I'm going to do is just draw three powerful truths out of those 18 verses to remind us, or maybe teach us for the very first time, of exactly who Jesus is. This Jesus we celebrate in this Christmas season. Number one, if you'd like to take notes, we've already said this, but we're gonna reemphasize it here. Number one, Jesus is the eternal God. Write that down in your notes somewhere. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. If you look at that in your Bible, you'll see that the word, Word there is capitalized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is telling us that Jesus was already in existence when the heavens and the earth were created. That means he is not a created being. He is the eternal God who has existed since the beginning of time. And we need to understand that about him because that's what makes his birth into the world so special. I think it's interesting that of all the words that John could have used when he was writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he chose to use the word word as his description of Jesus. Now we've talked about this before several times over the years. In the original language of the New Testament, that's the Greek word logo. When you look in your Bible at John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see that the word, Word, is capitalized because it's a reference to Jesus. And you might think that makes it a really significant word in the Greek language, but it's not. If you wanted to do a word study on the word, Word, then you'd find no shortage of information. But the word that's used there is the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, And reduced to its most simple meaning, it's a word that means speech or communication. And so here's what that means. Here's what John is saying to us when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was saying Jesus was born into the world to be the physical flesh and blood communication of the eternal God. Why? Because he is the eternal God. He came to help us to see and to help us to know and to help us to understand to the degree that we can in our humanity because we're limited in our humanity, the reality of the eternal God. And while you can know everything there is to know about Jesus, if you don't know and embrace this foundational truth about who he is, then I'm just gonna tell you today, you don't know him at all. Now, someone might hear me say that and say, Pastor, how can you say that? Well, here's my answer, and I want you to listen to me really close. If you don't understand and believe that Jesus is, in fact, the eternal God, then you have no basis for surrendering your life to him. Why would you surrender your life to someone who is not God? And you have no basis for spending the rest of your life worshiping him, which is what we are to do. Think about something with me. Why is it, friends, Why is it that so many people today who don't believe in God or who have a bitterness toward God don't have one single good thing to say about God at the same time can have such positive thoughts and positive feelings and positive words about Jesus? Why is it? I led a small group along with Rick Neville in our church a a few years ago on Wednesday nights for several weeks with people. The people in the group all identified as atheists. Nobody in the group said that they were Christian. In fact, they said just the opposite. They were atheists. And we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about God. We talked about the Bible. We came to that time we talked about Jesus. While nobody believed in God, nobody had anything but really in a sense, at least on some level, a 
bitterness or even a contempt toward God, everybody, everybody had good things to say about Jesus. Why is it? Why do you think that is? Well, I'll tell you what I think. And I'll also tell you that I think I'm right. I think it's because most people see Jesus as just a man. And when they see him as just a man, that means they can see him as a really good man, and they can see him as a really kind man, and they can see him as a really loving man, and they can see him as a really compassionate man. They can see him as a man who is a great moral teacher and storyteller and on and on and on. But what does the Bible say about Jesus? The Bible says that he is the eternal God. And you can't miss that. What are the first words in the Bible? Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does John chapter one and verse three say? This is our text. This is the prologue to the the gospel of John. It says, through him, talking about Jesus, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the eternal God. I'm gonna put words up on the screen from the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter one, verses 16 and 17. And if you're not really familiar with your Bible today, that's okay, but let me just tell you, these are, these are divinely inspired words that found them w- themselves in, or found their way rather into the scriptures because they come straight from God. These words are written by the Apostle Paul. He says, he's talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. He's the eternal God. Hebrews chapter one and verse three is one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament about Jesus. It says the son, notice that the word son is capitalized there. The Hebrew writer is talking about Jesus. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And here we see his divinity again, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He not only created the world, but he sustains the world every moment of every hour of every day. But my, one of my favorite parts about this verse are these two words here, exact representation. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. Those two words, exact representation, come from one single word in the original language of the New Testament, which of course is the Greek language. It's the Greek word character. Character, and here's what that word means. It's, it's a word that describes what happens or what happened in ancient days when a king or somebody of nobility who had a signet ring with a, with a mark of their nobility or their status, when somebody had a signet ring like that and they imprinted, they pressed it into melted wax to make an imprint. That's exactly what these two words from the Greek word character mean. And so when you understand that, then here's what the Bible is telling us about Jesus, that Jesus is the perfect personal imprint of God in time and space. I love to think about Jesus like that. He is the perfect personal imprint of God in time and in space. That's who he is. No wonder Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse nine, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Was, he, was Jesus a good man? Yes, but he was more than a good man. Was he a good teacher? Yes, but he was more than a good teacher. Was he a moral man? Yes, but he was more than just a moral man. He is more than any worldly description that we can give of him. He is the eternal God who existed before his birth in Bethlehem and who continues to live even after his death at Calvary. And here's why we know and believe that's true. 
Because the Bible teaches us that God has a triune nature. And I don't want you to get lost in that because it sounds a little academic. God has a triune nature. The word that we use in our language to describe that is the word trinity. Although the word trinity cannot be found in the Bible. But even though the word trinity cannot be found in the Bible, the concept of the trinity or the triune nature of God can be found all through the Bible. Here's what it means in simplest terms. We believe the Bible teaches there is one God, everyone say one God, one God who exists at all times in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what it means. Now, that's a whole other message that I don't have time to talk to you about. But that's how we can know and believe that Jesus is the eternal God, that he has always been along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was not created, he is the creator. When he came to earth as God in human flesh, he made the claim that he was God and then he backed it up. How did he back it up? When his enemies killed him, what did he do three days later? He rose from the dead. And no other religious leader can make that claim because no other religious leader is God in human flesh. Here's the second thing that the, John chapter one, verses one through 18 tell us about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Number one, Jesus is the eternal God. Number two, Jesus is the light of the world. I want you to look at one single verse back in John chapter one with me. It's John chapter one and verse nine. Look there, find that in your passage. John says, and he's talking obviously again about Jesus. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, we need to really focus on that word true there to understand what John is trying to tell us in this part of his prologue to his gospel. John says, Jesus is the true light that was coming into the world. The word he uses for true, I'm sorry, but we just have to look at this. It's kind of boring, but we have to look at it for just a moment. In the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word alithinos. And here's the definition, and it's so technical that it's one of those things, when I read it, I, my, my eyes just kind of glazed over, and I said, oh gosh, could you not come up with anything better than that? Or an explanation or a definition better than that. But this is what the definition is if you do a word study. That which has not only the name and semblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. Well, what in the world does that mean, friends? What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that up to this point, this, and the point I'm talking about is Jesus getting ready to be born into the world, God begin, getting ready to come into the world in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. Up to this point, God's people had only seen reflections of God. They had only seen reflections of God's glory. If you go back and you read verses six through eight and then you end in verse nine, the one that we're talking about right now, you'd see that they had seen a reflection of God and a reflection of the glory of God in John the Baptist who was sent into the world to prepare the way for Jesus to come into the world. But when Jesus came into the world, we have the opportunity to see the full reality of God, not just a reflection of God, but the full reality of God, the full reality of God and exactly who he is. I'm gonna put a few, uh, Hebrews, we, we looked at a portion of this. I'm gonna put Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, uh, at least the first part of verse three up on the screen again. And uh, I, I think this is a parallel passage that makes this even clearer. So the Hebrew writer says, this is how uh, the whole book of Hebrews begins. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Stop right there. What's, what's he saying? In the past, 
we got reflections of God. We got reflections of the glory of God. We got glimpses of God. We got glimpses of the glory of God. As God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways. But then we pick it up, it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And then this is the part we read earlier. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the perfect personal imprint of God in human space of his being. Well, here's another part of this passage that I really like. I like those words, exact representation. I told you that, but I also like this word radiance right there. The word radiance in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word apagasma, apagasma. And you can see on the screen what it means. It means light or brightness. So when the Hebrew writer says about Jesus that he is the radiance of God's glory, you know what he's saying? He's saying that when Jesus came into the world, he shone a light on God and the glory of God. He lights up the glory of God with his life because he is God. He reveals God, not just a glimpse of him, not just a faint reflection, but the reality of who he is. And so, going all the way back to John chapter one and verse nine, when John said about Jesus, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He's saying Jesus is coming into the world to shine a light on God for all of us. The reality of God, the truth of God, the love of God, the deliverances of God, the deliverance of God, the promises of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the hope of God, and you can go on and on and on. That's why Jesus is the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 11, there was a moment when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist who, who prepared the way for him. And Jesus says in verse 11 of Matthew 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now you could read that and you can make the case that Jesus is saying that John the Baptist, that before himself, John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived because God gave him the most important job in history up to that point, and that was to prepare the way for Jesus. But think about the differences between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was a man, Jesus was God. John the Baptist was called by God, Jesus was God. John the Baptist's job was to testify about the true light, Jesus as God is the true light. And so Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem on what we think of as the first Christmas, came into the world as the light of the world because he lit up with his life. He lit up the glory of God. I could talk to you about this more, but we need to move on. There's an incredible story in Gospel of John, the seventh chapter, about one day when the Pharisees got fed up with Jesus. The Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders who butted heads with Jesus during his entire earthly ministry. And so they just, they just wanted to be over with, so they sent the temple guards to arrest him. And then the next thing that you really read about is the temple guards return to the Pharisees without having arrested Jesus. And they say, well, what's the deal? Why, why didn't you do what we sent you to do? And, and this was their simple explanation, John 7 and verse 46. They looked at them and they said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. What did they say? We never met anybody like this guy before. We've never talked to anybody. We've never listened to anybody. We've never experienced anybody like this guy before. Why was that? Because Jesus was no ordinary man. He was the eternal God who is the light of the world. And that's what we have to understand if we experience the reality of Christmas 
And I hope anybody who's listening to me right now, whether you're here in person or in line, joining us online, who feels like there's darkness in their life, maybe you feel like you're, you're caught in some level of darkness in your life, the darkness of depression, the darkness of, of hopelessness, the darkness of, of questions, the darkness of searching for meaning, whatever level of darkness that you might feel your life surrounded by or you might feel creeping into your life at different levels. If that's you, Jesus is your answer. Let me give you a third thing that the Gospel of John teaches us about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is the light of the world. Number three, Jesus is the source of grace and truth. He's the source of grace and truth. I look back in John chapter one. I hope you've got your Bible open there still. And in verse 14, John says this about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Note this, full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, a little bit later says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today who think the primary message of God is an angry message and a harsh message and a judgmental message. But that's simply not the case because he's not an angry God and he's not a harsh God and he's not a judgmental God in the way that people often think. And I preface it like that because I'm, I, I'm compelled, literally compelled to tell you today that the Bible makes it clear there will be a day of judgment that comes for all of us. There will come a day when all of creation, all of creation will give an account for their lives. But here's the good news. If you're a Christian, which is to say if you're somebody who has surrendered your life to Jesus, that Judgment will come before what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be a judgment that will be all about evaluation and not about condemnation. Because all of us will have to give an account of our, for our lives, for the good things we did in our lives, for the way we handled the resources and the opportunities and the talents and the gifts that God gave to us. But it will be a time of evaluation, not a time of condemnation. And there's a difference. Remember, my son Andrew was out here just a few minutes ago with a communion meditation based primarily on Romans chapter eight and verse one that says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he talked about what the meaning of condemnation was, that you found guilty according to the law. If you're a Christian, that won't be the reality for you when that day comes. The judgment you will experience will be one of evaluation, not one of condemnation. But if you're not a Christian, the Bible says that there will be a judgment that will be about condemnation. And I want you to listen to me really close because I'm not speaking these words harshly. I'm speaking these words honestly, with a heart of concern there will be a judgment 
for those who are not in Christ Jesus, for those who do not recognize him as the eternal God and the true light of the world and the source of grace and truth, who have not given their lives to him. And that judgment will be about condemnation. The Bible calls it the great white throne judgment. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. And so, here's what I want you to focus on with me for just our last few minutes. If, if, if you're a Christian, which is to say, if you're someone who has accepted and believed this truth that John is revealing to us about Jesus, that he is the eternal God, that he is the true light of the world because he lights up the glory of God, shines a bright light on the glory of God because he is God, and that he is the source of grace and truth, then you can have Jesus change your life for all eternity. Because Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world. We're so familiar with the words of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But what about the very next verse, John three seventeen, that goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save, everyone say save, save the world through him. How about Jesus' own words at the end of his encounter with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10? Jesus said, for the son of man, remember I've told you so many times, that's Jesus' favorite term to use to refer to himself. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus wants to be for you. There's an old story that I love about a man named St. Jerome who was one of the early church fathers whose job or responsibility or what he's known for primarily was translating Greek manuscripts into Latin back in the days before there were printing presses and those kinds of things. He actually lived in the town of Bethlehem because the deep desire of his heart was to live in the same place that Jesus was born. And the story says that one night he had a dream where Jesus visited him. And in the dream, Jerome took all of his money and put it together and he offered to Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't want your money. And so he took all of his possessions. He began to assemble and gather all of his possessions together. And he offered them to Jesus and said, I don't want your possessions either. And so Jerome, in his dream, looked into the face of Jesus and said, then what can I give you? Because he just felt compelled to respond to Jesus' presence, to give him something. He said, so then what can I give you? And Jesus said, give me your sin. Because that's what I came for. I came to take away your sin. And why can Jesus do that? Because he was an ordinary man? because he's the eternal God. Why was Jesus' one life on the cross enough to satisfy God's need for justice with regard to the sin of all humankind? Because he was an ordinary man? No, because you know what? An ordinary man would have been able to give his life for one other ordinary man. It was because he was the eternal God. And that's why he can say, give me your sin. That's what I came for. I came to take away your sin. And so he came into the world as the source of grace and truth. But here's what we need to understand about grace and truth, friends. You can't separate grace from truth, which means you can't experience the grace of God in your life until you face up with the, to the truth that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. 
That's probably the only thing that all of us here today have in common because we can be so different in so many other ways. But the one thing we all have in common is none of us are perfect. We've all stumbled. We've all fallen. We've all made mistakes. We've all gone wrong directions and on and on and on. You know, you might be a boring sinner. You might be a spectacular sinner. You might be somewhere in between. But we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. We've all got mistakes and failures in our lives. And so the only way to experience the grace of God, which is the, which is the word that describes the forgiveness of God, is to face up to the truth that that's, that's what you need because that's the only thing that can change your life. And so as believers, that's why you and I, if you are a Christian, that's why you and I have to cling we need to cling tightly to the truth of God's word, but we need to do it all the while with the heart of grace. And we need to speak the truth of God's word with words of grace. And I'll be the first to say that that can be really difficult to do in a world like the one we live in today where truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. But that's what we're called to do. And so, as we search for Christmas in December, we remember it's not about superficial things. Like whether you say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. In fact, not to diminish the presence of Christ, but on the scale of importance when it comes to Jesus, that is just not very high. As we search for Jesus as in searching for Christmas, then we find him when we recognize that he is the eternal God. He is the light of the world and he is the source of truth and grace. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for time in your word today. And I pray that my feeble effort to teach it will bear fruit on some level. And we love you and we thank you for who you are. And I hope and pray that we have seen you clearly for who you are today. The God who has a seeking heart, who wants all of us to be a part of your family, who wants us to recognize the need of our life and bring that need to Jesus who can meet it and change our lives for all eternity. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.